Good morning. I need to confess something before we jump into God's Word. Uh, every time I use one of these stands, I get a little PTSD. Uh, so one time I was uh, getting ready to film like an um, announcement video or something. I don't remember what it was. But I was going to use a metal stand like this and put my iPad on it to be like a teleprompter for me. And it was going to be right underneath the camera. And I'm getting it all ready. And I go to raise it up and it got stuck. It was the old ones. Like, this is a newer one. The old ones are like cast iron. You all remember those? It broke loose, and I punched myself in the face with it. And like, I hit, you laugh. It hurt. And I hit the ground. I looked, and I got blood coming out. I'm like, what in the world did I just do? And it was one of those moments where, like, you know you just got a lot of pain, but you're not feeling it yet. Does that make sense? And then it started to, like, set in. I go to the bathroom. I'm like, my teeth are still there. My gums are bleeding. I text Kate. I said, hey, I know we have family pictures tonight. So if you look closely at one of our family photos, there's a little big black spot right above my uh, front tooth. So I get nervous every single time I use these things. So that's my little fun story just to like connect with you all there and let you share my trauma. So now you know me and you can share your trauma with me later. I'll laugh at yours too. But it's Sunday morning, you are here. You've chosen to be here with us today, and we are excited that you have. And we're here together this morning for the next hour. And maybe if you come for coffee and fellowship beforehand, you, maybe you love Jesus a little more than the rest of us, and you like to be here with us. And maybe you're going to stay a little longer afterwards just because we can't kick you out quick enough. I don't know. But before the doors open on Sunday morning, there's a lot of effort that takes place to make this hour happen. Hours are put in by custodial staff and volunteers to make sure these areas are clean, that the, it's warm, that the lights still work, all those different things. Volunteers show up early to make sure the lights are even on, the doors are unlocked, the coffee pots are full, except for last week. Thanks, Jared. And then we gather together as worship leaders. Worship leaders come and practice. They make sure the songs are working, that they, they sound good. The, the uh, tech team gets together to make sure the lyrics are right. Make sure Ron's happy with the soundboard, most important thing on Sunday morning. Volunteers gather together and pray together. They share with one of those burdens. They just kind of talk about the day. We kind of encourage one another and inspire one another to give and to do great things in the next hour. Hours of prayer and thought are gone into what's going to happen in this time that we call the sermon. We talk collectively about it. We think about it. We look at scripture. We pray about it. And for the next hour... We meet at 10 a.m. on the dot. Andy begins to strum, right? Ron mutes the Spotify playlist. Michael turns on the live stream, and we start worshiping. For the next hour, we gather together. We sing songs. We hear about announcements. We celebrate wins. We, lo- we listen to sermons. We take up offerings. We pray prayers. And then we all bounce to El Rey and Oliverio's, right? One of the dangers in ministry is thinking that what happens on Sunday morning for an hour is it. We put all of our eggs in the basket. We put all of our efforts and our energies and our resources into a captivating spectacle that encourages you for the week ahead. And one of the things we realized during the pandemic, every church realized this, is that many of us fell in this regard. We felt like all of a sudden we realized, oh man, we talk about discipleship, but we actually don't really practice it. And now all of a sudden we can't be together in person. How are we going to encourage one another? What are we supposed to do? Will people still be saved? We don't know because we can't gather in a building. And, you know, 
The old adage is that 67% of statistics are made upon the spot, but there's some church statistics. Some of you all didn't catch that. 67% of statistics are made upon the spot. But anyways, some church statistics are not very forgiving. And they kind of damage our pride as pastors. They damage the egos of churches on a regular basis. For example, one is this. That you all, you, me, all of us together, will collectively probably come to church on average 30 to 35 Sundays a year. So if I'm telling you that we're going to put all of our eggs in the basket of the one hour together on a Sunday morning, I'm going to have you less than one average work week. 30 hours. That's it. 30 hours. 30 to 35 hours. We'll collectively be together through the entire year. Now, thankfully... Thankfully, we do gather together. It's what we talked about last week. Josh did an incredible job about that last week. We gather together. We sing songs. We worship. We encourage one another. We honor one another. We celebrate one another. But we also realize that's not it. We realize that what happens on Sunday is more about what happens throughout the rest of the week as well. So yes, we believe when we say those three words that we gather, grow, and give. We truly believe we gather like we make a difference. Do you need to go back and listen to that? Go back and listen to it last week. Not right now, later. Go back and listen to what Josh said last week. Because it does make a difference. And one of the things that we believe here is that Sunday gatherings are not a time to retire. They're a time to refresh, a time to renew and get encouraged because we believe we're encouraging you and equipping you for what's going to happen Monday through Saturday. Because we believe that's when discipleship, discipleship really takes place. That if all we do as pastors is do an amazing job on Sunday morning and leave you to the wolves, shame on us. Shame on us. That's also why we use that second word, grow. And if you look up the signs, it'll say grow like never before. Next week, you're going to hear the third part when Phil talks about the next one. If you want to get a spoiler, just go read that sign back there. It's about giving. Don't let that scare you away. It's our responsibility to grow. It's your responsibility to grow. I cannot grow for you. Josh told me one time, he opened up a sermon. I, I, I thought about doing it, but I didn't want to steal it. I guess he got up here one time, and I think it was here, and yelled, y'all need to grow up. Was that here? I don't know where Josh went. He's scared. But I'm like, dude, that's a bold statement. He's like, y'all need to grow up. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I don't, I'm I can't do that. They don't know me well enough yet. (laughs) But I'm going to unpack this a little bit further because what we believe is we want to grow like never before under the authority of Jesus Christ through intentional discipleship within the community of believers. That's how we unpack that a little bit further. And we're going to go through these almost line by line over the next few minutes together. So first thing, we want to grow. I don't know about you, but the more I study, the more I spend time in God's word, the more I realize I know absolutely nothing. Anybody else with me? I get, I'm getting a master's of divinity right now, and I still have no idea what half the stuff I'm learning is. I hope that doesn't discourage you, because I do promise I'm learning things. But really what I'm discovering is even when I don't know what I'm trying to read and understand, the more I realize I am falling deeply in love with my creator. I'm falling deeply in love with my Savior because I'm spending time with Him. I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 when he says this. Not that I've already obtained this. That's up here. Back up. Two verses. There we go. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me His own. 
Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the upward call of Christ Jesus himself. What he just said was this. I want to grow because he has taken hold of me and I want to take hold of him. We want you to grow. We want you to grow. That's your, the desires of your pastoral staff, your church council, all of us. We want you to grow. We want you to grow in the knowledge of Jesus. And while, yes, knowledge is a great thing, but that's not the end all. We want you to grow deeply in love with the very one who loves you deeply. They sent himself to you to die for you. We want you to begin to grow with him and learn more about him, abiding with him. That's why we provide resources like Right Now Media, Bible studies, CBC 101, devotionals, sermons, even podcasts where we talk about Disney princesses and sharks. All that's designed to help you grow. Some of you have made out the last part, but I still promise you there's a purpose to it. But we want you to begin practicing disciplines of study, prayer, service, and worship. Because that's what we believe being a disciple really means. We want you to grow. The problem is, I ask this with a question, do you want to grow? We want you to grow, but do you want to grow? And if you do, under what authority will you grow? Under whose authority will you grow? See, the second part of that statement was under the authority of Jesus Christ. Many of us, if not all of us, have a problem with authority. Y'all realize this. Almost all of us have a problem with authority. We don't like the idea of someone telling us what to do, how to do it, or simply the idea of someone being in control of our lives. It kind of freaks us out a little bit. Some examples. How many of you have a crazy boss that just irritates you? Josh? <laughs> just kidding. How many of you have a teacher who just... Don't raise your hands on this one because your teacher may be in the room. A teacher who just doesn't get you. A coach who just screams at you all the time. Maybe you're young and you feel like your parents just constantly nag you. Don't look at your mom and dad. Spouses. Leave that one up for discussion later. And some of you are here and you think, I don't have a problem with authority. Really? How about the customer who's always right? You know. Speed limit signs. GPS in your car. Paying taxes. Government mandates. Remember those? Those direction signs they put on the Walmart aisles that told you where to go during the pandemic? This way. No, this way. All of us would have gotten lost in Ikea for like a, a billion years with those stupid signs. Or my favorite one, when you get online and you fill out a survey or whatever it is, then you have to, they tell you you have to prove that you're not a robot by selecting every image that has a fire hydrant or a crosswalk in it. Yeah, those things are a joke. Just going to throw those out there. We all have problems with authority. What we simply want to say out loud, don't tell me what to do. How many of you have ever said that before? Be honest. Confess it. Seven of you. The rest of you are lying. <laughs> but for being honest, weirdly enough, we kind of like being under someone else's authority. Because sometimes it gives us comfort. And we grant authority to people all the time. We give them space. We give them access. We give them authority to speak into our lives, to instruct us, to teach us, and to tell us what to do. And when we do this, you know what you become? You become a disciple under that person. 
Simply defining a disciple as this, one who's under the authority of a teacher or a leader. Under the authority of a teacher or a leader. Under their authority, you begin to quote them, speak like them, act like them, think like them, and sometimes even look like them. Listen to pastors long enough. You can pick up on who they listen to, who they read, based off how they speak and what words they're starting to use. For example, you know someone's been listening to Ben Stewart when they say, hey man, or right, or they talk about rice-flavored gelato. I still have no idea what that is. Or you can tell someone's been listening to Matt Chandler when he says, you track it with me? You all get that. Craig Rochelle, we're not praying for revival. We're living in the middle of one. Hear those phrases amongst your pastoral staff. You know exactly who we're listening to because we start speaking like them. Another example, this one may be a little more familiar to you. Thanksgiving. Be honest. Family gathers together for a big family supper. You know exactly which news stations every family member listens to. Right? It happens. You can tell which pundits they listen to and talk the most like based off talking points that should never be discussed at Thanksgiving, let alone any time. So I ask you the question, who is authority in your life? Who is the authority in your life? Be honest and evaluate it. Pastors, teachers, politicians, news anchors, social media influencers, podcasters, who is it? Who is the authority in your life? Sadly, I see this a lot today, especially in younger demographics, of this idea of a misplaced authority. We see somebody who has a big social media following, a lot of followers, a lot of influence. They may have a degree. They may have a title. We're like, man, it's on the internet, so it must be true. I'm going to believe everything that they say. You all laugh. It happens all the time. Think about, I'm a, this may be like PTSD for some of you, but go back a couple years, pandemic's going on like crazy. All the things we started to believe, all the things that we started thinking were true just because somebody on the inter- internet said it was true. It happens in church too. A lot of the deconstruction movements taking place today in the church is because we see people like, well, they went to, they went to a seminary, so they, it's got to be true. And they got like 75,000 followers, so it's probably, they got like three likes. It's, it's got to be true. And next thing you know, we're being led down a very dangerous and difficult road because we're sitting at the feet of somebody we should never have sat at. So I ask you, whose feet do you sit at? Who has the authority in your life? Primarily, it needs to be one person, one person alone. Y'all know who that is? Jesus. Be a little more confident next time. It needs to be Jesus. Come sit under his guidance, under his mercy, his grace, his love, his teachings, his compassion. I trust me when I say there is no sweeter, no better place to be. That's where you need to be. Allow Jesus to have the full authority over your life. His word birthed the entire thing, the entire world into existence. That same word is trying to speak to you and have authority in your life. And we do this through the next thing, through intentional discipleship. Yes, we sit under the teaching and authority of Jesus, and that's where we need to be. But we also follow the call to follow him by coming under people who are under the authority of Jesus. The sad thing we see today is that the very Americanized version of Christianity is it's individualized. 
It's just about what you do and your spiritual moment and that one decision you made that shaped your life. But when I see scripture, I see communities and families being changed and transformed by the gospel. It's not just something that we do by ourselves. Because Jesus said we are called to make disciples of all nations, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's not individualized. That's transformational. David Platt said this, Making disciples is a supernatural overflow of being a disciple. Proclaiming the love of Christ is the overflow of sharing the life of Christ. Scott's translation, to be disciples, we must make disciples. And to make disciples, we must first be discipled. You cannot pass on what you do not have yourself. We must all have someone under the authority of Jesus and his word intentionally discipling us. This could be anyone. It does not have to be your pastor or your life group leader. It could be anyone, but I challenge you, the only person you should give authority to in your life is somebody who's more mature in their walk with Christ. Does that make sense? You, would, you want to seek the counsel of those who are wiser, those who have spent more time in God's word. Otherwise, it's blind leading the blind. The end goal, though, as you begin to spend time with these people, you will start picking up some of their habits, right? You start to act like them a little bit, but the end goal is for you to look more like Jesus and not like them. You want to look more like Jesus. If the end goal of that discipleship is that you look more like that person, walk away quickly and seek out counsel from someone more wise. Parents, did you know that you are the primary discipler of the home? You are the primary discipler. Do not outsource this to anybody else. It's not the role of the government, the school system, not even Josh. It's your job. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says this, verse 4. Here is Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your strength. You all know that. These, things, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your heart. Verse 7, impress them upon your children. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. What he just said was, everywhere you are with your kids, talk about it. When you're on the soccer tournament, when you're in the car, when you're picking them up from school, impress them upon your children. But you first need to love the Lord yourself. It's your responsibility. Nothing else matters more than your child's eternity. You hear me? And once you're being discipled, start making disciples. Once you've come under someone's leadership and they're discipling you, your role is to start doing the same for somebody else. Start multiplying. Start spreading the image of God. And when you think... They're good. I can pass them off. I can retire. No. <laughs> Start over. Find another person. I do not like the fact that there are people in this room that think they've done all the ministry, all the volunteering, and now that they're a little bit older in life, they don't have a voice anymore. That is false. You have so much wisdom and so much amazing stories that would just shape and transform a younger generation. And they long to hear it and they long to see it. Spend time discipling the next generation. You're never too old to start discipling somebody. Keep starting over. Keep multiplying. Keep spreading the image of Jesus. And that's exactly what the ministry of Jesus looked like. 
He walked up to people and said, come, follow me. And what? I'm going to make you fishers of men. It wasn't just about following him. It was about spreading his image. So what do we do? We call people. We build them up. We send them out. We multiply. We call people to follow us as we follow Christ. We build them up in their faith through instruction, through accountability, through prayer, through availability. And then we send them out to do the exact same thing when we, we begin to multiply. The next part, we do all of this within Christian community, through community of believers. How many of you have realized that you cannot go through this life on your own? Thank you. You cannot go through this life on your own. One of the very first things God said in Scripture is what? It was not good for man to be alone. From the very beginning, God's like, do not be by yourself. Do not walk through this world isolated. You need people in your corner, people who you have given the authority to call you out, to rebuke you, to speak truth into your life, and to help you point closer to Jesus. I'll never forget this moment when this became real to me. A guy in my former church came to me and says, we need to go through some counseling together. And he and I had a little bit of a relationship, but not much. And there was a lot of things going on in his life and the life of his marriage and his family. And I looked at him and I said, do I have authority in your life? He knew everything what I meant by that. He said, I'm going to call you out. I'm going to speak truth and comfort to you. And I'm going to call you out on your crap. He's like, please do that. Because that's what he needed. We went through a lot of hell the next couple of years with him. We walked through trials. We walked through fire. Life was good. Things were restored. Friendships, relationships were all restored. To this day, he and I are the closest of friends. But you know what the beautiful, beautiful part of this whole thing is? I'm not the only one with the authority now. He has it in my life. He calls me out. He'll text me things. He has the authority because of the trust that we've developed between one another. We are discipling one another. We do this because we share life together. We want to help each other look more like Christ. This is why we prioritize life groups. That's where discipleship takes place. And we believe in order to be a life group, there must be three parts. First, there must be connecting. This is more than just the casual friendship, the casual fellowship. It's sharing struggles, but also victories. The way I describe it, this might sound gross to you. Be available to vomit your life onto somebody. You know what I'm talking about? When, the, when your back's against the corner and all you want to do is just unload it all, those are the people you should be able to do that with. And they'll be the ones who are ready to pray for you, ready to encourage you, whether it points you in the right direction. Sharing of ourselves, sharing of our life. The second part, changing. Community is important, but it is not the only thing. In the very beginning, when, when Jesus ascended into heaven and the church was birthed, right? You all realize they did not have everything that we have. They did not have these mega buildings, the, the fancy live stream equipment. They didn't have anything. They actually didn't even have the full word of God. All they were getting was letters being passed around from church to church. But they were still had the ability to transform one another because they encouraged one another. They met with one another. They shared stories of what Jesus had taught them when he was walking with them. And lives were changed because more and more people began to look and live like Jesus. And third, cultivating. 
The amazing thing that happened to those individual groups that we see in the book of Acts, what happens in Acts chapter 2? They began to grow. They began to grow. They multiplied on an astronomical level. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Word spread about how they loved and they cared for one another. But it wasn't just a fact that they were growing as individuals. They were growing as an individual unit, a community. And everyone began to take notice. They were changing the world because of the way they were cultivating faith within one another and also within the community. They, they collected for the needy. They lent help for those who were in need. They shared food. They cultivated relationships inside the community and outside. The Roman emperor Julian, who hated early Christians, said this. The Galilean, the, the followers of Jesus there, have been specifically advanced through the loving service rendered to the strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It's a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. They were loving their own, and they were loving those who were outside their community, so much so that the Roman government took notice, and they saw them losing their grasp. Because women who were being outcasts, children who were being thrown off cliffs, were all of a sudden being loved and welcomed into the community. The marginalized were being brought in, and it transformed one kingdom, which then transformed the entire world. This is exactly how the entire world was flipped upside down by that first group of people. Group of men and women, outnumbered by the entire world, walking under the authority of Jesus, intentionally discipling one another, and living within the community of believers. They transformed their own lives, and then they transformed the world. It was not just an individualized thing. You are here because they took this seriously. You are here because they believed in what they followed and what they preached. That's how they grew. We see in the book of Hebrews, and this will be in your devotion this week that goes out, Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19, says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have a confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, that is the body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance and with faith, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Listen to verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the day more as the day approaches. When everybody else was running away, the writer of Hebrews comes in and says, you need to hold on to the hope that you have. Keep meeting together. Keep breaking bread together. Keep doing life together. And do so with a sense of urgency and a confidence as the day approaches, meaning the day when all things are reconciled back unto God. Are you ready to grow? Are you ready to grow into who God has called you to be? The choice is not mine. 
My mom used to say, Scott, I'm so glad you're not God. (laughs) I say that about a lot of people too. Because if I really had my way, there'd be a lot different, a lot more different people, a lot more different things. And you ever get that frustration with your kid? You're like, I know you can understand this, but you're just not here yet. That makes sense as a parent. In the same way, we look around the world and say, man, if you just would look more like Jesus, this would all be better. And then we look in the mirror and say, same to you, buddy. The choice is yours. Are you ready to grow up? No one can make that happen except for you. You have a part to play because Jesus has taken hold of you. Would you take hold of him? So with every head bowed and eye closed, let's just spend time praying through this. We said that you will only grow under the authority of Jesus. And when we say that to you, we're saying stop bowing down to idols and other individuals who have, you have given authority in your life and simply follow Jesus. So I ask you this morning, as you evaluate, don't look at everybody else. Just look into your soul, look into your own hearts and your own minds and ask yourself, who am I following I pray if today is the first time that you can honestly say, I'm not following Christ, but I want to, make that known. You have a connect card. You can raise a hand. You can stand up and do whatever you feel like God is calling you to do. God has sent his son Jesus for you. Amen. Praise God. He has sent his son for you. To die a death that you deserved. To pay a punishment that we deserve so that we could have life. And not just life with him, but life in this world that can taste the abundance of heaven. That can see the experience of the kingdom of God here, now. God, we want to follow you. So I pray for those who have said yes to the first moment of following you. I pray over their lives. I pray for communities to surround themselves and point them closer to you. But maybe you're here and this could be the hundredth time, maybe the thousandth time that you've made this decision because every single day we keep bowing down to more and more idols. Simply tell Jesus that you've messed up again and recognize that his arms are still wide open, ready to receive you, ready to restore you and make you new. Fall under the authority of Jesus. And through the intentional discipleship, ask yourself, who is discipling you? Who is discipling you? Somebody online? And while it sounds good to have all the various pastors and podcasters we listen to, we must recognize that those pastors don't really truly know us. They don't really know our hearts. They don't really know our pains. They don't really know our hurts. So when our backs are against the wall and we're falling down because of our sin and our brokenness, who's going to come to you? Who's going to restore you? The first person that shows up that's wise and walking in their faith, maybe that's the person you need to seek out immediately after the sermon and say, hey, I want you to walk through life with me. You've been there when I needed you most. I want you to lead me closer to Jesus. Seek them out. In a similar conversation, who are you yourselves discipling? We need to be obedient 
and changing this world through intentional discipleship. Finding out younger Christians, those younger in their faith, younger in demographics, and seeking them out and saying, hey, God's got great plans for you, great plans for your life. I want to come alongside you and point you in that direction to encourage you, to equip you. So at the end of the day, you look more and more like Christ, and then you can turn around and transform the world around you. Who are you discipling? And are you doing all of this in the community of believers? Are you wandering around this world trying to find your best way to isolate yourself? Because nobody knows what you've done. Because no one will ever understand the pain that you have. Jesus knows all those things and he still loves you. And I promise you that the lives that have been changed by Jesus are ready to hear that pain. They're ready to receive and honor you and restore the dignity that only belongs to those that made in the image of God. And that's all of creation. Do not do this life on your own. You will end up broken, lonely, and hopeless. You need to spend time with like-minded friends. Start meeting together. Start sharing life together. Start breaking bread together. Yes, this church has the resources and the abilities to begin new life groups and connect you with the right people. And we're ready to do so. But do not be fully relying upon us as a church or upon us as pastors. You have everything you need for a life of godliness. And you have a sphere of influence in people's lives all around you, at your work, in your classroom, where you live. Look at those people that God has uniquely placed in your influence and say, come alongside me as I follow Christ. Let's do this life together. Let's share this life together. Let's walk this journey of life together. And when you do that, your biggest fans will be the pastors of this church who say, amazing, let's celebrate that. Let's equip you. Let's promote that. You cannot do this alone. It's time to grow up. It's time to grow up and start playing your part because Jesus has taken a hold of you. Would you take hold of him? Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the reading of your word. God, I pray that all of us recognize that we need to come under your authority to call upon you as Lord for the first time, for the 1,000th time, and say we will follow you. And God will do so through the discipleship, through worship, through giving, through service. Because God, we want to see this world looking more and more like your kingdom. Yes, we long for the day where we'll be with you, but God, we want to see that happen now. So God, as we sing, God, may you receive all the honor and all the glory. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.